Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Because the Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro is 100% waterproof from top to bottom, they're perfect for both waterfowl hunting and whitetail hunting, turkey hunting, or any type of hunting outside. They are 100% waterproof from top to bottom. They're great for crossing creeks and walking through wet grass. They feature a hand-laid premium rubber over cushioning neoprene. The Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro boots are comfortable and durable hunt after hunt, season after season. Check out the Alpha Burley Pro at lacrossefootwear.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. And welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. Hopefully everybody has had a great week. Uh, If this is your very first time tuning in to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, man, you're in luck because we got a great podcast today. If you haven't already, you need to go check out the other two podcasts that we've launched. And that's going to give you an idea of what this podcast is all about, what it's going to cover. And... uh, Yeah, so I'm happy to be here. I don't know about you, but I am freaking jacked up for this upcoming whitetail season. But because it's not October 1st yet, we still have some other things we could be doing. And one of those things is fishing. And today we're going to be talking with Billy Pryor. And Billy is going to talk to us about fishing in hot weather. You know, this time of September, we have some of those Indian summers that can come in, get really hot. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is tips and tactics of how you can still fish in this hotter weather and be successful. So that's what today's podcast is about. I'm going to keep the intro short and let's get right into the podcast. All right, everybody. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Billy Pryor. How are you doing today, Billy? I'm doing real well. How about you? I'm doing good, man. Now, we're going to be talking about fishing on the podcast today, but I myself, and I don't know about you, uh, am really starting to get fired up for this whitetail season that's a month away. How about yourself? Oh, I can't wait. I'm already preparing, so. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear that. It's like once September hits, uh, my mind slowly just shuts off and I get blinders on and it's all whitetails all the time. But it sounds to me like there is, especially in the month of September, there is quite a few opportunities for fishing as well. Absolutely. In between, you know, setting up for whitetail hunting, I always have my gear with me so that I can go fishing at any moment. Um, You never know. You want to set up your stand set up some cameras, check the cameras. If you're near a lake, river, pond, that's you know, always a good time to get out there and cast a line in. Absolutely. So, Billy, why don't you talk to me about what part of the state you're from and uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, I am in Carroll County, actually, so I've actually got quite a bit of public land around me, things like that, so I'm, I'm always out and about, whether it's hunting or fishing or preparing for one or the other, so... 
basically I do that as much as I can. Otherwise I spend time with my family. I got wife and two beautiful daughters. And other than that, I work at a factory here in Carroll uh, and we do some precision jet parts for military and commercial. So that's never a dull moment in my life. Two little girls. Sounds like you got your hands full. Yeah, well, I've got one of them that hunts with me, so awesome. I'm working on the right right track there. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you recently wrote an article in the Iowa Sportsman uh, magazine, and the title of it, it was Cool Down for Summertime Fishing Success, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So on a very high level, why don't you talk to us about what that article was about? So basically, I think you'll run into a lot of anglers that – say once it gets too hot the fish won't bite and it's just not worth my time because it's too hot for me to be out there and if you can pinpoint what the game fish uh, mainly like a largemouth bass smallmouth bass even the walleyes northerns if you can pinpoint what they are doing in that heat it can actually change your success significantly you have you know, different options where the fish are going to be moving to, um, what the water is going to be doing, what the vegetation is going to be doing. So if, if you can learn the science behind it, then you can beat the heat and you can still catch some of the biggest fish. And that, that's mainly what I wanted to cover through this article is, is to let people know how and what it is you need to do to not just sit there and get a sunburn. Absolutely. So let's, let's start breaking that down because um i feel that the you know the details are needed in in something like this so the first thing that i want to ask you is location and locating fish fish because that's obviously the hardest thing to do if you ask me is finding where the fish are at and then throwing something their way that they're you know enticed in so in september now what in 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 Nothing's really guaranteed as far as weather in Iowa. We all know that, but, but you know, September's can be very hot. And, and um, so talk to me a little bit about what these fish are doing in these hot days, maybe from a morning all the way to the evening. Absolutely. So I guess one of the biggest issues that people don't think about is we being on land, we feel temperatures constantly changing drastically Um, from a cold morning to a hot afternoon where the water temperature will change it shouldn't be near as drastic as what we feel so over the span of the hot summer this water is already heated up and it's staying hotter than most everything of our on our land so what i like to look for when after these hot summer days and in september having the heat beaten down on you on most of these days is different sorts of cover over the water. And that doesn't necessarily mean just cover in the water, which is great. Uh, Vegetation and docks, things like that in the water present a much cooler temperature. But even things that cast a shadow, if you have fallen trees or trees branches that are hanging real low over top of the water, that can drastically change the temperature especially in a shallow area of water. So that's, that's most important is finding the coolest areas and usually the easiest way to do so on like a lake or a pond would be some form of cover. Okay. So do you feel that 
maybe a fish, let's say, and I'm just going to use a largemouth bass for right now, but do you think a bass will come out of underwater cover to find that shade in maybe, so it's, you know, it's obviously shaded, but there's not necessarily any cover under the water? Oh, absolutely. And the other, the other big thing too with that is the smaller the uh, fish, such as a bait fish, they're going to be more susceptible to the heat anyhow. So they're going to find, whether it be shade, like a tree branch that's just hanging low. And if you have bait fish swimming to a cooler area like that, your predator fish, your game fish are heading that direction for sure. So it's, it's kind of a hit or a miss. Yes, they're looking for cool areas so that they don't have to work so hard, burn so many calories because they're prepping for winter coming up. And they're going to find the coolest areas and they're going to find where the bait fish are, which is also the coolest areas. Gotcha. Now, are they, are they hanging out in these spots all day long or are they transitioning from maybe cooler, deeper water up to the shallows uh, throughout the day? They will do a little of both. Um, you'll find that if they are suspending in vegetation, basically they'll back in to an area of cover and they'll sit and they'll wait for bait fish, whether it be, you know, shad or um, smaller minnows, whether it be even larger, like bluegill. Um, they'll just kind of suspend and wait for something to come by. And if they're not successful in that, they can move to a completely different area of cover, go from a hanging tree branch out to vegetation that's growing from the bottom. And they'll, they'll go for where it's most successful. And if they start, what I've noticed, if they start getting too hot or they've had um, enough to eat, they burn enough calories, they tend to go deeper and they will sit towards the bottom. The, the mud on the bottom and the lack of sunlight reaching the bottom uh, tends to be a lot cooler there. And, and that's where it makes it possible for you to get your smaller plastics and things like that down to the bottom to entice them. Perfect. And that's one thing that I've always kind of thought, and, I, and I'm not a professional fisherman by any means, but I always used to think the best time of day to go fishing was right first thing in the morning as the sun's coming up, and let's say like the last hour of the day as the sun is coming down. Um, but you're saying that once these fish kind of move down into the bottom uh, and most people are getting off the water, uh, you're saying that uh, given the right circumstances, you might be able to to start really uh, catching them that time of day. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of people that say it's too hot. They're not biting. And that's, like I said, where it comes into play of knowing the science behind the fish and what they do basically to live their day-to-day -day lives, to stay healthy and to prepare for winter because they got to start getting a higher caloric intake so that they can survive the long winter when they start shutting down and slowing down and burning less calories that kind of holding on to that. So, I mean, the morning and the evening is great because they are more active um, as the barometric pressure changes with the sun rising and falling. So they are definitely active then, but a lot of times people just throw it out the window and say, uh, they're not biting during the middle of the day. It's basically just where to find them. And you can you can still kind of tease them a bit and get them excited enough to bite. 
right? So as the as the day kind of progresses on, you know, let's say you're on the water at 7 a.m. You start fishing, and maybe you're using a crankbait or something top water, um, and the it starts to heat up. The fish start to go down or find this cover. What kind of baits, lures, whatever uh, are are we talking about using at this point? So you're you're definitely right with the morning time, you know, something like a crankbait or um, a topwater, because when it's not quite as hot, there is going to be an area, a layer, a few feet on top of the water that is susceptible to the heat. It will change temperature. So when they're still active, it's not too hot. Definitely get out there and, you know, get the crankbaits out. Topwater frogs. I love using frogs, especially in the fall uh, with all the vegetation. They, they seem to hit that more than anything. And, but once it starts getting real hot and you notice they're not biting because they're hiding more, uh, my go-to almost always is basically using a six inch plastic worm, um, just Texas rig it. And a Texas rig is simply, you put part of your, the first tip, about a half inch of the worm all the way to the eyelid of the hook with a bullet weight right above it. I usually use about a quarter ounce and gives it a nice drop. And then you just tuck the body of that worm onto the point of the hook, just so it's almost through. And that's going to present you with a weedless rig where you can bounce off that vegetation. You can drag the bottom and you'll, you don't have to worry about getting snagged on those things. And the other great thing about that bullet weight is if you are moving it around, that bullet weight will slide up and down your line, allowing your weight or your plastic to jump up fast and fall down slow. Gotcha. So as I'm fishing this way, let's say I want to talk about this uh, specific setup just for a moment. You know, you, you flip the tip, the bullet weight comes up, it drops down slow. When do you feel that the fish are more likely to bite in that routine? From my experience on any lure that has the ability to, to drop as it's falling, if you present it to make it look live, they will watch it move, they will watch it dance, but that fall is what always gives them uh, the, the chance to bite. They know the bait is not going to swim away, it's not going to get away because it's, it's swimming down, it's not looking around for any threats. So as it's falling, they almost always tend to strike then. Right. And I'll tell you, I've used this method um, a lot when I go fishing with my father-in-law up on the uh, in northeast Iowa on the Mississippi and some of these backwaters um, throw into a snag or exactly what you're talking about in uh, some shade or along a grass bed. Um, get it, get in there, get it, you know, right along the weed bed and uh, no snags. Let the bait do its job and uh dude we've had really good success doing that throughout the years oh absolutely so any other lures that uh that might be able to work other than this uh, texas rig with a a plastic worm Uh, basically anything you can get away with not getting snagged the fall is notorious for having high amounts of vegetation right um so you have you have tall weeds growing from the ground. You might have lily pads on top of the water. If if you have the room to run a four to six foot crankbait, 
it's an, it's impressive what you'll run into there. Like I said, you just have to worry about using them treble hooks and, and catching on to um, different weeds, different vegetation, sticks, stumps. There's countless things you can catch on to. Right. But right. if you if you know your lake and you know the way, way it's laid out or if you know the river you're in and you know where things are, it, it really opens it up to a wide variety. Um, Rapalas, I love using shad wraps, um, mornings and evenings. Frogs are have always been my go-to, uh, like KVD sexy frogs. They tend to get fish out of the banks and underneath vegetation that you normally couldn't get through. Right. Right. So when you're dealing with high vegetation, obviously there's a, a likelihood that, you know, you're using a, I don't know, let's say a, a lure with a treble hook, or maybe you, you get a bite and the bite's not successful. You don't land the fish, that lure, that hook comes out. Now you're snagging vegetation. Do you feel that when you're fishing in heavier vegetation that you need to maybe put on some higher test line for your pole? You know, there's there's a sort of a trick to that that I learned years ago. It's not necessarily a the higher test that's important as much as it is slow down. If you have snags, when you start yanking, pulling real hard, you're just weakening your line over time anyhow. So what I like to do is just switch to a braid during the fall. And if you're using a braided line, it tends to cut through the vegetation so much better and it it gets you free from a lot of things. Yeah, one thing I've learned with braided lines that if you catch a snag, it you have to cut the line <laughs> because uh, and I'm notorious for that. Whenever I go uh, fishing with my father-in-law, we always make a joke. He has so many lures, but uh, and fishing equipment, but I just always write him an IOU for the amount of lures that I lose in one day when we go fishing. So that braided line, you can't just yank it out. Other than maybe adding some braided line uh, to your reel, is there any other type of uh, maybe tackle change that you would recommend when it comes to hunting some thicker vegetation or this uh, this setup that we've been talking about? Yeah, basically, you know, I like to just avoid um, the bigger spoons on the front of any of my lures. Um, if you're running, you know, a crankbait or something, if you run anything with more of a rounded spoon on the front, it's going to help pull you through that vegetation a little smoother um, as opposed to something with a square bill on it. So just, you know, look for aerodynamics and anything that would be sleek, you know, make sure your knots on your line are, you know, nice and tight, no extra frays. Um, any chance you get to tuck or hide a hook in any way, that's great too. But I think most importantly is, you know, if you are running something with hooks with a possibility of a snag, when you when you do start to feel something, I know every angler thinks it's the big fish that he's got to set the hook as hard as he can, and I've been guilty of that many times. <laughs> I'm sure the the ten and twelve pound bass that I you know that got away was just a log. <laughs> but <laughs> once you realize it's a snag, you know, take it easy and don't just start yanking, and you know popping your lines real great it, it allows it to get tension and snap it off of there so vegetation is something that's going to be practically impossible to avoid but knowing how to deal with the vegetation is another way of really getting past the vegetation 
right? So let's say we've identified a place on a pond or a lake or even in like some backwaters of some rivers or whatnot. And we want to get to that spot. Now, let's say we're on a boat and are you a fan of fishing from the outside in or are you going right to that spot uh, and kind of not necessarily barreling right on up to it? Or are you kind of a let's let's work our way into the spot? I tend to work slowly and quietly. Um, I like to think of it as if someone was in your house and you didn't know who, you weren't worried it was a threat, but you heard somebody out in the living room and you're back in the bedroom. If they're sneaking around real quiet, you're going to tend to do the same thing. What is that? And you're going to go out and look for it. If they're barreling through, breaking stuff, you're not going to want to go check it out because it's, it's a threat. It's scary. You don't know what it may be, if it's going to hurt you, if it's, and that's the way fish, I, I think, tend to, tend, tend to act. Yeah. So when you've got the, the, the big motor down and the gas motor and you're screaming through the water, I think you scare them away. Right. So I like to get out to where I want to be, look ahead to where I want to head towards, and I like to troll quietly, head that direction, and work my way back towards shore from the center. Right, right. But also, it's a a strange concept because I'll run the shore as well. But I always try to do things as as quiet as I can and come in not so invasive. Right. Okay. Now, also, um, there's different types of bottoms or or shorelines, right? Um, There's sometimes there's mud. Sometimes there's, um, let's say that, that, that big river rock that the core engineer drops down on, uh, some levees or something like that. Is there a diff, different, uh, method or approach to, uh, fishing different type of banks or bottoms? The only real difference I think you'll find besides the mass amounts of areas to hide in rocks versus a little bit of vegetation is Rock tends to be, I think, better success, but almost harder to fish because once you get caught between rocks, you're pretty well done. You have to get over to a cut the line or get on the other side of it to pull it back out. Yeah. But rock tends to give you or give the fish a lot of different places to tuck in. And uh, even in rocks, I've been able to get catfish on like bass lures because they tuck themselves in there. And as long as you're giving them a presentation, they're going to love it. And with rocks, something like a bullet weight dropping down onto those rocks, it sends that sound out tremendously under the water. So that tends to help too. Right, right. You ever use any live baits or most of your presentations all lures? Mostly I stick... To, to lures, I would say nine times out of ten, I like you know plastics, um, hard plastics and soft plastics. But when I tend to switch to uh, live bait, uh, leeches or worms, that's when I find an area that I know that will present fish that are sitting, that are waiting, that are cooling off, that are in rocks or in vegetation, and it's just a little too much to try to work through. Gotcha. That's a great a great way to just set it out there and let them slowly come to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I, and I and I like fishing on the bottom with that too. So is that a I don't know when you go to an area, let's say you've you've located 
maybe where some fish are. Is that kind of a, a last chance scenario that you'll start using live baits or will you um, maybe start off with that and then change to lures or how do you know what a pr- like what you're going to be presenting them as far as bait's concerned? I tend to go straight for a lure and I use the live bait as a as my last presentation just due to the fact that I, I have more success, more ability to finesse a lure versus just letting a live bait hopefully attract them. But now I fish with a lot of different people, you know, fishing buddies of mine, family of mine, that they only fish live bait and they'll sit and wait and sit and wait. And I've had days where I've caught 10, 15 fish and they've caught none with their live bait. Yeah. But I've had days exactly opposite where they're sitting with live bait and I cannot seem to get anything to bite running my always go-to favorite lures. Right, right. So now let's talk about that this same exact scenario, right? In the shade, hot day, or maybe in some vegetation. But now the water is clear versus the water is muddy. Does your tackle change at all on those two scenarios? Right off the bat, that's one of the first things I check when I get on the water is clarity of water um, will definitely tell you what colors to use. Um, if you've got a real clear water, you don't want to be throwing something out that's too flashy, you know, high metallics, really throwing off a bright light like a spinner bait. Um, it tends to spook them, I, th- I think. You get less attention from the fish. Um, that the really shiny stuff I think works great in murky water. If it's real dark, dingy, muddy, that allows it to flash, but it doesn't travel so far that it catches their attention saying, Hey, what is that over there? Versus that is insane. That's too bright, too scary. I'm not even going to attempt it. It's threatening. So color, water clarity and color go hand in hand. Right. Right. So you're throwing, uh, if the, if the water's dirty, like a lot of Iowa bodies of water are, um, then you're going to be, you're throwing something a little brighter out. Um, like what about, what about noise? Fire tiger, fire tiger is one of the bright colors that I use. Okay. Um, it's got your greens, your oranges with a dark blacks running through it to set it off. And then like you were saying too, noise, it's, if you've got clear enough water vegetation wise, um, so you can pull through things like spinner baits or just plain spoons for your larger predator fish or things that have rattles in them, that those are amazing techniques because if the water's too dirty for you to see through it, they're not, they're going to see better, but not great. So that's another great way to attract them because they will follow that vibration nine times out of 10. Right. Right. All right. So I'm sure we've had these days where we go onto the, the lake or the river, whatever, and we're catching fish. We're happy that we're catching fish. Um, but it's these one pound bass every single time. There's no, there's no size to them. And now, now it's like, okay, I'm, I've caught, I've had fun. I've caught my fish. Now I want to go after the bigger ones. Does your presentation change from a smaller fish to try to go after the biggest fish in the body of water? To an extent it does. You know, I tend to seem to use the same presentation 
So if I'm catching these fish, I know that they're liking the colors I have. They're liking the style that I have. So from there, I'm going to say, all right, I'm catching them over here. It's shallow. They're under a tree branch. Let's try the same presentation, same color scheme, but I'm going to run opposite side of the pond um, around the corner of the, you know, on the next bend in the river. And I'm going to see if I can find a deeper spot, um, some thicker vegetation, something that's going to be a little harder for me to get to makes it harder for anything threatening to get to that larger fish as well. So I think that'll, that really opens up possibilities there using the same exact method, just in a different location. Okay. So what about, um, on like a man-made lake, right? They got a dam and then they have an an intake where like water comes out of a a stream or another river. Is there a preference that you have on where in the body of water uh, you're going to be fishing, like closer to the dam or closer to where the river or stream comes in to feed it? Yeah. um, That's one thing that most people don't realize. Nobody tends to think about it. When I say something like, you try to find some cover, a tree branch or some vegetation. You get these man-made lakes that they don't have a lot of that. You don't have a lot of hard vegetation. You don't have any trees hanging over. There's no docks on it whatsoever. And that does a lot for temperature on the water. And so in those situations, if I'm on a man-made lake, if it has an outlet or an inlet or any area of the lake itself that drastically changes shape i would i like to get right up in the moving water something that's got a flow to it or an area where it's real big and then goes into a sharp channel and what that actually does is moving water or big mass areas of land that change sharp that tends to have a pressure change and flowing water and pressure changes will create undercurrents which tend to cool the water down and that gives you the same result as a dock okay so that uh it's it's just a different place uh, or a different opportunity for these fish who have been beat down by the sun all summer long to find some cooler water absolutely yeah it's it's almost like working in the heat and you turn a fan on you're still going to complain that that fan did nothing but blow hot air on you but you still leave it on because the moving air, just like the moving water, is somehow a little bit cooler. Right. So it tends to tends to be my go-to, I guess you could say. Right. Is there an optimal temperature, water temperature, that you find, um, I don't know, not necessarily on the top, but uh, cooler, maybe a little bit lower, that you seem to have the most success with? Around, give or take... 64 degrees, I think, is amazing. It allows them to move without being too hot and burning too much energy. But at the same time, it's still warm enough that they don't want to do a lot. So it kind of forces them into those cooler areas. And 60, I guess, you know, 62 to 66 is really nice, cool water. So Awesome. Awesome. Now, different species. Right. I've always found that exactly what you're talking about um, 
works great for largemouth. You know, throw them in the weeds as much as possible or, or in the big shade. Now, does your tactic change for different species? Let's say like a smallmouth or maybe a northern or a walleye. The thing about northerns and walleyes and smallmouth is it is going to be the same style of tactic. The only difference that I would change there, instead of looking for weed beds, grass beds, vegetation, trees that have fallen, I'm going to try to find any areas um, of large rocks that have been dumped in, any gravel beds at the bottom, uh, basically harder cover because those are more of a predator than your largemouth. So they will sit tucked waiting and they'll be picky for what they want. You may throw that uh, lure that you've been throwing to the largemouth in front of something like a walleye or a northern five, six, seven, eight times and he will never strike once. But that ninth time, that tenth time, it's inevitable at some point they're going to take it just because you've teased them with it so much. So when it comes to a more of a, a predator fish, um, like I like to say that for most things that have sharper teeth, right. uh, more aggressive fish, uh, just keep on them just because you haven't got anything in that spot. You cast it five times. Don't run off to a new spot, stick to those rocks, stick to that hard cover and really, keep trying to entice them and obviously there's some point in time to give up but don't don't be so quick to say there's nothing here especially when there's you know like a river with flowing water a rock check that right. i i push those hard right that's one of our favorite tactics uh especially this time of year is on the mississippi river we find those wing dams that are built Oh yeah, and you throw on the upstream side of those wing dams, and that's where that's where we catch a lot of our walleyes uh, on a crankbait uh, before you know before the wing dams. But uh, but you're right, and in, in the heat, we're back in the we're back looking for sm- uh, largemouth in those in that weed cover or maybe a sharp bend in a, in in the the river um, and where the current kind of comes hits the bank and comes up and disturbs the water and whatnot now with that said current um you mentioned something about current how how important is current um even in even in lakes and ponds they have some kind of water movement current how important is it to to know what the current is doing to the water I would have to say that's probably top priority when you're trying to understand what the, the what the water is like underneath, what the, the ground is like underneath. Um, when you have a current, it does a couple of things. One, like I said earlier, it will definitely change the temperature right there, moving water, rushing water. It cools things down. But it also takes fresh food, um, bugs or crawfish or um, any minerals in the soil and it washes it away it erodes that and that allows the smaller bait fish to come in which attracts larger fish right um but it it also oxygenates the water too so if you've got water with real dense vegetation or if you got you know later in the winter it's starting to freeze up that's going to be oxygenated areas where 
the bait fish are definitely going to head. And like I've said plenty of times, if there's bait fish, there's going to be game fish. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now I think the only thing we really haven't talked about is let's say weather patterns. And I know that the, the majority of this conversation has talked about heat and being hot, but if you had your choice to maybe fish on the front end or back end or during a, like, let's say a cold front coming through or precipitation, where do you think the fish are going to be better biting? I, I like to go for the front end of everything. When something's coming in, when it's about to change, that's going to be um, a time that riles up the fish for them to know that they need to feed because something is coming. And they usually tend to know that due to barometric pressure. And that starts changing. Weather starts changing. They know something's going to happen. And they tend to feed before and at the beginning of that happening, almost preparing. You know, every human does it. There's a snowstorm coming. Everybody rushes to the grocery store to hurry up and get things because they know that they're going to be stuck at home. And I think fish tend to follow that same pattern. So get in the front of it. Watch your weather. See what's coming in. If there's a, a cold front moving in, if there's a storm moving in, get out there. That's that's the time that people say, oh, there's a storm coming. I don't want to be out there. It's going to get cold. Do it. That is the best time, in my opinion, is the, the change from normal to something maybe drastic it's going to rile up the fish and it's going to make them want to get out and eat. So get out and fish. Absolutely. Now with all this said, uh, we're getting ready to wind down this podcast today, but do you have any final thoughts or want to talk about maybe something that I overlooked, uh, that, uh, would be a great tip or tactic for, for hunting in these hotter temperatures. Stick to cover. And this goes for even when it's not too hot out, fish are going to use that same cover for camouflage um, it, it allows them to hide so they can hunt better um, the vegetation that is out on the water if it's peaking the top of the water this goes back to bait fish bait fish are key watch the birds that's where the bait fish are going to be watch where the vegetation is with it's peaking the top of the water and that's going to release scents when that vegetation starts to photosynthesize on the top that attracts bugs the bugs being attracted attracts the bait fish. The bait fish attracts the game fish. It's a vicious cycle. So just learn the science behind it and then get out and have as much fun as you want. And you won't have near as many bad days. Right. And that's the most important thing when you, when you break down. And that's one thing I've learned uh, from fishing, unless, you know, you're in a tournament and you got to kind of take it serious is to have fun. That's what, that's one thing that uh, a lot of people, um, I think, over you know they get so wound up in going out trying to catch the biggest fish possible and and uh, i sit in a cubicle all day long uh, for my for my real job and uh, any day on the water is better than a day in the cubicle oh for sure yeah and i mean i i go out and I, i get competitive but i always try to have fun you know not even a month ago we went out and my wife always gets upset asking why she can do the same techniques as me and not catch anything while I catch one after another. Yeah. And we went out and she beat me up and down the entire shoreline, <laughs> but it's about fun. So I let her rub it in all day long right. and 
I'm, I'm glad she got it. I'm glad she got to experience what I get to experience. And I'm glad my kids get to go out there and experience that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Billy, I, I really appreciate you t- uh, taking your time today to hop on the podcast and chat with us today. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Perfect. That would be great. I appreciate being on and hopefully somewhere out there I can help somebody and otherwise we'll keep learning ourselves. And there you have it. Another Iowa sportsman podcast in the books. Want to send a big thank you to Billy for hopping on the podcast and talking tips and tricks and tactics with us today on how you can be successful in this hot water in these Indian summer kind of months. So uh, hopefully you guys are successful uh, with what you've learned today. If you want to share your success, you can go to the Iowa Sportsman Facebook page, post a picture, and I'm sure the uh, guys there will, will share that as well. If you want more information on how you can subscribe to the Iowa Sportsman magazine, you need to visit iowasportsman.com. All you got to do is click a button, fill out some information, and then you too can get the Iowa Sportsman magazine directly to your house. We're going to be putting out an Iowa Sportsman podcast every week, hopefully, and that's going to launch on Thursday every week, so keep an eye out for that. I know next week's is going to be about preparing for the upcoming whitetail season, what you can do to increase your odds and uh, maybe get closer to that buck of a lifetime not only mentally, but physically as well. So, thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time.